All right, so today we're here with Faris, uh, formerly head of platform at Strut Crypto, one of the top Web3 funds, and now angel investing and coaching founders uh, on sales and go-to-market over at Crypto Coach. So really excited to, to have you on today and dive into how to actually build uh, a Web3 company. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. For sure. So I guess one of the, the things I want to start with um, like, what are like the myths of, of building in Web3? I feel like I see a lot of founders who are just kind of like, you know, hey, I want to go to conferences and, you know, blockchain sounds cool. So let me start building. Um, and there's a lot of mistakes that get made. But at the same time, like, I can't, like, you know, put that down into a, uh, a quick blurb, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I'm understanding right, it's like you find that people just go to conferences or just looking for solutions to build. And then, you know, from like a builder mentality standpoint. Yeah, I mean that's that's just something I'm I'm seeing. I'm just kind of curious if if broadly there are like general myths or mistakes, like hey, like you don't need to hire ten, you know, something like maybe you know you don't need to hire like your BD team, um, you know, until you raise your Series A or something like that. Um, or yeah, okay, yeah. Just, just as general as like there's a lot of just kind of hype in the space, and now people are leaving um, because that easy money has has flown out, and it's not something where you can just yeah. go to a conference and, and goof off, um, and you really need to yeah. be disciplined. Yeah, so I think when people go to conferences, right, I think that, like, and I, who mentioned it? Baron Davis, who is an ex-NBA player who is actually pretty active in the blockchain space, he he kind of treats it like a, a game plan. He goes in with a game plan, just like I go in with a game plan, right? So um, for um, East Denver, just using that as an example, me personally, I had, like, okay, what are my objectives? Number one, I want to talk to uh, more gaming companies, uh, specifically for uh, a client, Eclipse. Um, and I want to understand how the Eclipse uh, tech stack really kind of fits with what they're building. Uh, number two, I want to meet more VCs because uh, I want to expand my network of uh, VCs. So as I get more deals, I have more VCs to share those deals with so those companies can raise money because uh, we work a lot on, you know, uh, fundraising decks and investment memos and things like that. Um, and the third and final thing I want to do is just find talent, right, who are, you know, early in their business development career, early in their growth career, uh, early in their community career that, you know, as like more projects and more opportunities come along, I can tag, uh, perhaps invite them into those projects, right? So I went in with a game plan. So I think that you see people that are very like focused now because as the as the space has gotten more contracted, um, it's kind of like crystallized focus a bit more and really focused more on like fundamental things. So if you already have a product, people care, for example, care about revenue more now than they did let's say a year ago, as an example, if you're looking to build things, uh, people are looking for, okay, what are like greenfield opportunities? Like, you know, I would kind of advise people that are just like figuring out what they want to build to figure out what is already out there, what is missing out of that and start asking those, you know, when you look at companies like, oh, we could do better than them with whatever, talk to their customers at, at conferences. Like, what do you do with these people? How do you use that product? Like what's missing from it? Talk to their cap table, talk to their investors. Like, hey, we're thinking about building something similar to this, but we wanted to get your perspective on it. Like, you know, just start talking to their people and to kind of inform your own decisions is what I would say. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. Um, so I think one thing that I wanna kind of dive into a little bit um, is just the the effect that the winter has had on on building. I know you mentioned that it's basically just forced people to become disciplined and that's kind of, made the space a little bit easier to, to navigate. So when you're thinking about a new product, then you just kind of are forced to identify really solid market opportunities. Then you just go talk to, to customers. Um, so I just wanted to, to kind of make sure I, I had that right. Um, and I'd be curious to learn, like, what are the other impacts uh, that the winter has had um, on building products and, and taking things to the market that you've been seeing as well? 
Yeah, I seem like a higher priority for growth and business development. Um, so I'm biased, right? Because I'm a you know a growth and business development uh, oriented person. But in a in a bear market, it's like when these projects will just find anybody, right? Because there's money flying everywhere. There's community flying anywhere. They're, they're everywhere. There's just they you know they they probably want the most commodified form of growth, right? Um, because you know that's what their kind of mandate is. They just raise money, or they there's money out there, and they just have to do it quickly. Um, you basically only need to know how to breathe and you can raise money in a bull market, right? Whereas in a bear market, let's just say like your fundraising, right? You have to be more methodical. Um, you're going to get challenged a lot more. The due diligence cycles are a lot longer uh, than they than they were in the in the bull run, right? Um, so, and then, you know, a lot of these people want to see like, and the narrative has changed, right? So a big thing is like, you could have an idea or something you're building, you know, a year ago, and now it's not necessarily obsolete, but the narrative is kind of outdated, right? Where maybe you were more focused on like somewhere in middleware, a certain compute solution, but then three came on the market, right? Whereas now the narrative is more geared towards zero knowledge. It's more geared towards consumer facing applications, right? So sometimes, you know, you're a little bit late to the game. Sometimes you can be too early to the game, right? Um, so I think those, all those things need to be taken into consideration. And then when you do raise, there is a bit more of an onus of like shipping product, similar to how there is, because in a bear, in a bull market, there is also like heavy emphasis on shipping product. Um, because usually when you ship product, you get, um, some PR, your token goes up, uh, but in a bear market, um, it shows a signal that, uh, it's a serious team and, you know, they're, they're trying to identify product market fit. And that's kind of the thing in, in the, uh, for companies I've recently raised in a, in a bear market, you can kind of be more methodical about what product market fit looks like. You can crystallize that a bit further, and then you can get more kind of like focused on business development in a specific way um, that maps to your narrative, maps to how you raise the money, maps to how you're indexing for Series A. You know, all these variables are taken into consideration. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. So when you're looking at like the overall growth playbook in, in Web3, it's something that like we have that's really crystal clear in enterprise software. You know, there's all these VCs and operators will say like, if you grow and, you know, in two, two years and you hit 10 million in ARR, this is amazing. Now your sales process is scalable. Um, but in, in Web3, it seems much harder to weigh like crystal clear thought leadership. Yeah. It's like, you got to hit these KPIs. Is there a playbook that you've started to, to see emerge, um, you know, kind of looking at all the founders that you've worked with and the projects you're kind yeah. of working on right now? So I think the first thing is not to like generalize it, right? Um, so like, you know, growth can look different. It comes in different forms for different uh, communities, different products at different times, right? So that's like number one. Number two, I'd say that the difference between like the Web 2 world and the Web 3 world in this case is that the Web 2 world, and you can like, you just talk to these people, right? Even if they're like Web 2.5, like they think about customer experience. Whereas um, in the Web3 space, we think about community because our community are our customers, right? In many cases of how the incentive models work. So it's a bit different in that sense. And I think that's why you have less, call it rigid playbooks uh, that like a conventional SaaS a platform has in the Web2 world. So that's like number one. Uh, number two, I think it like, um, it's a case by case, you know? Um, so for example, if you're like a L1, right? You have many different customers that have different growth approaches, right? You have validators you have to onboard and incentivize and sell and attract uh, relative to your competition. Um, you also have a strategy, right? So the growth plan is largely mapped to the strategy. So for example, um, if you look at uh, just gaming as an example, right? If you look at like a Starkware, Starkware has hundreds of millions of dollars, but probably only have like 10 games, right? Well, all those 10 games are pretty highly technical and badass, right? So it's a very curated specific thing for whatever Starkware strategy is. It's all 
a constellation of things that all kind of like combine to kind of serve whatever their strategy is, right? Whereas if you go to Immutable or some of these other kind of like larger protocols, it's like everybody, like, okay, projects, every, all the projects, right? So you have like a high throughput versus like a low throughput uh, kind of sales strategy, right? And I think that all maps to, um, and it's not like figured out in isolation. It's all, again, taking into consideration the other parts of the strategy, the product maturity, um, the engineering timelines for those features, um, um, how you staff, uh, what your token economic model is, like all these things are taken. So it's the business development person's job to take all these things into consideration and not try to convert everybody on it, but validate it, um, A-B test it, um, find the product market fit. And then the, the real kind of skill set of a business development person, I think in the Web3 space is be able to adjust as quickly as possible. So adaptability is, is what you're indexing for. Um, because if you're a nice enough person and you know the product and you work well with people, people will want to work with you. Um, it's about figuring out if you're working with the right people at the right time in the right place is kind of the, uh, that's where the mastery comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that definitely like exists in the, the SaaS world or even like the fintech and payments world. Uh, I feel like a lot of people like really try to focus on the early to, to middle market companies and kind of build KPIs that are, are good or solid enough to, to try to hit up the enterprise. Yeah. And there's a process for this. I could also like logistically speaking, it's, you know, you set up the CRM, um, you set up what your, you think your customer profiles are, you associate tiers with those, you set KPIs up based on how the, the company's measuring value. Uh, and again, yeah. value can be measured in terms of like users, value can be measured in terms of integrations, measure could be, you know, it could be measured TVL. Um, it can, you know, there's a, it, it, sometimes it could be um, measured based on very specific characteristics of very specific types of companies, right? Um, particularly for the um, more nerdy, uh, more academic type projects, right? They're trying to prove out, typically they're trying to prove out something very specific um, on chain, which isn't like a, um, a spray and pray kind of approach. It's like yeah. a curated, very specific type of project you're trying to attract or a project you want to attract and then transform. Um, and that's how you raise the big series A bucks sometimes. So, um, so that's how, and how that works. And then, you know, you have a deck, you have a product deck, you AB test it. Maybe you figure out very quickly, your messaging is off. Uh, people aren't getting it at a very certain point of the pitch. Um, your handoff of knowledge, to the engineering team may be off. You need to fix that. Maybe you have no technical documentation. You got to hire a dev route. Like there's all these things that, um, you integrate with as part of the organization. And then you have marketing. So like, you know, business development is kind of boots on the ground where marketing is more of like your air support, right? It's clearing the way for you. It's creating thought leadership. It's creating signal, it's creating cloud, it's creating, you know, all these things that support you on the ground. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. You know, I think one thing that's kind of coming out of this is the growth path, especially like in the, the winter today is going to be very straightforward. Like all what you're saying just comes down to really just talking to your customers and being very disciplined and rigorous about the, the companies you're approaching to do BD. You know, like if you're an early stage company, like you probably shouldn't be hitting up Avalanche on on day one. Um, so, so one thing I'd like want to kind of dig into um, based based on that, like there's this kind of sense in in venture capital and, and Silicon Valley where you have these like magical KPIs where if you're like, oh, like you can see like your growth metrics and you, you know, if you can shift this number, you're going to magically grow faster. Um, do you like ever run into some of these KPIs when you're actually building companies or is that just kind of like made up? No, so but KPIs are usually, so they're, okay, so yeah, good question. So, you know, it depends who's giving you the KPI. So if it's a venture-driven KPI, it's largely going to be driven by growth because in a, in, a, in a classic kind of like Web2 venture capacity, you know, you look at an Uber, you look at Twitter, right? They grow and then they have to grow beyond their means, 
right? Yeah. And that's where it's good for a while. Then they fire a bunch of people. Then they restart. Then they find new products, right? They have to, you know, um, you know, cover more surface area in terms of growth, right? You know, expand at all costs, right? So I think those are the kind of the conventional KPIs um, in uh, in Web two and Web three. We're not even there yet. Like, hopefully this year, maybe next year, we'll have like our equivalent of an Uber, like a consumer. Maybe it's like a neo bank. Maybe it's something like mm -hmm. this. And that's not something we've seen yet. So we've ha actually haven't had that experience yet um, in Web three. So for example, gaming in Web three is a very big deal, right? DeFi is a very big deal. But if you look at the actual amount of human beings involved in that relative to society, it's actually quite small, yeah. right? So it's mainly in investment in a, in a couple of things. One, uh, infrastructure that will enable new kind of like piping uh, for an internet that then, you know, um, yields new use cases and new capabilities and new ownership models and, um, you know, network and corresponding network effects that, you know, are pretty unpredictable. Like Solana started with no use case. They just said, we're going to build this. And like, we don't know what it's going to do, right? So a lot of Web3 is kind of built with that uh, philosophy. Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of interesting kind of like, we were previously academic, but now kind of like commercialized solutions, particularly in the zero knowledge space come out, they're gonna be widespread applicability, right? So I think I think the, the KPIs are gonna be driven by um, pretty much much more tempered based on the actual addressable market we currently have. And as these like, you know, as trust comes back in the space, as the institutional onboarding and, um, you know, those type of things uh, get, and the user experiences get uh, a bit more improved. I think then you'll see KPIs more driven towards like wider audience that have, uh, larger numbers associated with them um, as well, uh, particularly going from like a series A and beyond. Between seed and, and series A, you're largely just trying to improve either, hey, we have a competitor market and now we're better, or this is a greenfield opportunity. We want to be a category category creator and we've created it. Here you go. Uh, we've, proven, we've proven step one. Now fund this for step two, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, a couple of things that came up there I'd love to dig into first. Sure. Um, she would love to like learn what it looks like to do better UX in in Web three. I was having a, a kind of similar conversation about this, where it's really just a matter of doing the basics. Like, hey, Wire's website looks really nice. A lot of companies just just don't do this, and that's a great way to build trust. Um, but would love to learn like, yeah. what, what comes to mind for you. A few things, like right off the bat, I think like I think you're seeing a lot more design come in. So like companies like Airfolio, uh, companies like Slope, um, design agencies basically, and then like you know. Mm -hmm. Previously Web two, but now Web three hybrids, right? You have hype, you have um, Invisible North. You know, these are like kind of you know design chop. They have like hardcore design chops, right? Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of more design. Like Airbnb was a design led team, right? So I think you're kind of seeing a lot more design and creatively led teams, which I think is just a natural extension of the NFT space and all that. Um, so I think you're you're just getting more um, elegant uh, user experiences as, as a result. In addition to that, I think you're seeing. And I'm a modular maxi, right? Um, so I, I believe in uh, the modular blockchain narrative quite heavily. And I believe that with the modular blockchain narrative, you, you have more capabilities to customize. So let's take an example. Um, so when you have like any project, any dApp, right? You have like off the shelf wallet infrastructure you can use, whether it be self custody, full custody, you know, whatever, right? And then, you know, at some point, you know, you find a feature that you need that this like off the shelf wallet does not provide you, right? And what happens? They all go build vertical wallets, right? You have an ocean of vertical wallets, like an endless, like quite literally, like you could take up, uh, you, you could just line up the next bajillion podcasts with vertical wallet people, right? So, and the reason they do that is because the customization uh, isn't there for them, right? Um, and then the, the there's not enough devs that really know how to like 
create like complex uh, uh, smart contract uh, smart contract logic uh, on chain yet. So there's also like a education hurdle there as well. But you know, with that, I think that as we get more modular, as we get uh, more customizable uh, in what we do, and we do it in a composable and open source way, I think you're going to find that there's going to be a natural, just a natural kind of momentum towards a more elegant user experience. As more design people come in, the technical people can then customize a bit more. They don't have to spend like a year worth of their time building a new wallet, like things like this, right? And then I think it comes down to like trust with institutions because a lot of these things, a lot of design is usually driven by customer feedback, right? But when you don't have enough customers, you don't have enough feedback, right? So, you know, DeFi needs a lot like those inflows of institutional again to kind of inform their product directions and what is needed. And I think you're seeing a lot of interesting things with like custody, hybrid custody, uh, self-custody, um, zero knowledge, uh, privacy networks, things like that. Um, so I think all these kind of like uh, variables will, this constellation of things will just kind of like converge on a better user experience, I think. I don't think it's one thing. I think it's like a, just a convergence of things that are happening on a technical standpoint, a talent standpoint, and and yeah. um, and a uh, institutional standpoint. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. So on the institutional side, I'd love to learn like what it looks like for some of those guys to become more involved in, in Web3. It's one of those things where like on the Web2 side, at least everyone's like really scared after FTX, um, except for people who've already kind of decided to go in anyway. And would love to learn like what the path to adoption is yeah. like. Yeah, so I get confused by this question sometimes. So they are involved, right? So I think there's a, a key difference between separating like, you know, money crypto uh, with with crypto more broadly, right? Yeah. Money crypto, yeah, you're not seeing like massive banks just like throw down dollar dollar bills and go like heavy into Bitcoin and everything moons and then you get the Coin Telegraph article and then everything moons and then like, and then they're yield farming on it and there's like 100x, you know, and you're seeing the 1000%, you, you know, that's not there. And I actually like that that's in here because it's actually just masking what's actually going on, right? So there's a lot, these things aren't built in a vacuum, right? So these people aren't just saying, oh, they need, you know, they need custody and they need privacy and they need certain tooling, for instance. Like, it's not like they're just thinking of these things on the fly and hoping it works, right? They're they're working hand in hand with a, you know, all these institutions to create the right onboarding, mm -hmm. the right liquidity provisions, the right, um, you know, uh, uh, and also informing regulatory environment. That's a big one, right? So anytime you work with institutions, you work with enterprise, right? Um everything they do is like, you know, in lockstep with uh, the regulatory framework, right? So imagine, like just using gaming as an example, imagine a major studio launches a game and they have all these successful games. And then all of a sudden they have like this crypto involvement and all of a sudden, like there's a swap and all of a sudden the market just like tanks the token or something. Cause like, that's what crypto does, right? Um, you know, the demand side liquidity, right? So they can't like take this risk. Why would they? There's no incentive for them to, but it doesn't mean they're not building something. It doesn't mean they're not working with other companies to build the, the piping for it. it. doesn't mean they're not getting informed on the design of it. it doesn't mean they're not, um, you know, working out their token economic models. It doesn't mean that they're not, you know, doing these things. And then from a DeFi standpoint, it means like the, the previous example, it doesn't mean they're not doing those things. It just means they're not launching it publicly in, in market right now, right? And putting the capital behind it. But they're they're finding ways to do the right, uh, find the right UX, find the right platforms, um, inform the design of those platforms. And then uh, when, you know, a certain convergence of factors uh, from a market standpoint come in, you know, activate them. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So, I mean, that's something I, I think on, on the gaming side, a lot of companies are embracing like Web3 under the hood and then getting ready to take it to the market once all those risk factors have been and worked out yeah, because so. they don't they don't need a token to moon they don't need anybody they're just doing it like they don't need you know they don't need it they don't need they don't need to rush anything there's no incentive for them to there's no need for them it doesn't improve again because they think about the customer so absolutely no incentive or no need
but it doesn't mean they're not doing things in partnership and collaboration with others that are Web3 native. Yeah, exactly. So last last question to to wrap things up. Um, earlier, you were, you were talking about a little bit about the a new wave of of infrastructure in Web3. Um, and I would just love to learn about like you know, pick one product, for example, and just talk to me about like, hey, what would it look like to build this thing out in the early days? How do you set up network effects? You know, what does it look like to go out to the the early market adopters? Like, who are these guys going to be? Are you just cold texting people on Telegram all day? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it depends where, you know, a lot of it depends on like your relationship network, where you're at. Like if you're starting fresh, yeah, you got to have to kind of grind right? Um, you know, that's just the reality of it, right? You have to create a pretty large top of funnel. But, you know, there's like different ways to think about it. One is like you create like a, you know, a top of funnel, and then you create a bottom up, right? So it depends. Again, I, I kind of bring it back to like, you know, growth isn't like a one size fits all, right? So and business development isn't one size fits all. It's mapped to your strategy. So for example, the ones I gave you where you're trying to curate a very specific cohort of projects is different if you're trying to onboard every single project in a category to prove out whatever your strategy is, right? So I think it really depends if you're high throughput, low throughput, um, and who you're trying to attract and what you're indexing for in terms of like Series A, in terms of growth, in terms of community, in terms of engineering roadmap, you know, testnet, mainnet, et cetera. So I think that is like a, a large player in this. But um, I, I think that, you know, yeah, if you're just starting out, you kind of have to grind and then you have to get people to trust you, right? Um, and you have to do right by them and they'll do right by you. That's just what I've learned, right? So a lot of my uh, business development, my team and, you know, who we work with happens because like, you know, uh, you know how I'm going to answer the question differently. If you can find a way to clearly, to create a relationship and clearly define what is needed, because at least everyone's busy, right? Everyone is busy. So if I went to uh, my friend Dan uh, from Up Top Search, right? Um, you, should, you should have him on the podcast, by the way. Uh, and then I saw that he had a client, right? And I would go, hey, Dan, uh, I noticed that you're working with X company. I'd like to talk to Y person. And the reason because I want to do uh, X, Y, and Z for this client. I would love to figure out if that's a fit for them. Done, right? Um, so crypto is all about getting opt-in. It's first creating a large top of funnel, creating relationships, uh, and then finding the relationship within that where I really, you really want to focus on that then have, you know, mutual growth and then shared network effects, right? Because you have to create these win-wins. A, that's just what you should do. And B, it feels good. So uh, you should always go with what feels good for everybody, right? Uh, and that's what I do. Um, so it's a mix of like top of funnel um, and, you know, kind of a bottom-up approach and then mixing in conferences when I can.